every high performance athlete is looking at, how do I get that little bit of an edge? I think I've probably worked like 32,000 rounds. First time I ever saw an ear torn off, it, it did catch my attention. It's a tough sport. Getting to know you has really opened to my eyes to how you really can optimize the body. Whatever you think is healthy, you can get healthier. Enjoy what you do every day and to feel productive every day. That's the ultimate human. Welcome to the Ultimate Human Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Brecka, human biologist, where we go down the road of everything anti-aging, longevity, bio-optimization, and everything in between. Uh, I'm, I'm super excited for this, this, this podcast because I've got a very good friend of mine, Dr. Jeffrey Davidson on. Um, he's a medical doctor, um, and not just any medical doctor. Um, I've got your CV here, so I hope you're sitting down and you have a few minutes for me to read through this, but he's the chairman and medical director. Most people know him as uh, the chairman and medical director for the UFC, but he is also the uh, medical director for the emergency department at Valley Hospital right here in Vegas, which is yes. a pretty pretty big yes. emergency department. Tough, the Contender Series. Um, he's the medical director in EMS, of EMS Medical West. Um, he's also the medical director of CCT and AMR, um, event medicine for AMR. He's uh, the medical director for AirMed Las Vegas. Are you still the actually, medical director? Actually, it's actually uh, changed over to Guardian Air, but still doing that. So this is like the medevac? Yeah, um, this is the medevac. Okay, so you're a medical just, director just spoke for them. with them this morning. Okay, and he's an emergency consultant for the Vegas Golden Knights um, and the lead at UNC, INC, um, and the NFL Las Vegas as well. Yeah. So, so what work, do you do with the NFL Las Vegas? Uh, work with the uh, NFL as the what's called the unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant. Okay. And that is uh, the group of physicians uh, within the NFL that uh, is unaffiliated with the team and helps identify, recognize, and then if needed, treat, you know, help get those uh, concussion athletes out of the game. Okay. And get them in so the right course. So you're on the sidelines for some of these NFL games too. And Correct. I might add, you're, you're going to be on the sideline for the Formula One. For the Vegas. Formula One. The yeah. Formula One will be coming to Las so Vegas I, I, in November. Maybe the coolest uh, physician's <laughs> job in the country. Like if you're a doctor and you're watching this, you're like, Hey, I want that job. You know, um, I think a lot of physicians would say, you know, this is like the pinnacle of a career to actually be able to showcase your talents and make a real difference in something as massive as the UFC. Um, and, you know, as I, I look at the medical side of what goes on in the UFC, that's a lot of what I want to talk about today. Um, I don't think a lot of people realize um, in, in, the, in the realm of sanctioned sports, it's a really relatively safe sport. It's a very safe sport. Yeah. I mean, I think that's well said. I, uh, I think a lot of people see the sport and they see two athletes in a cage that we're like we're sitting in. Right. And they think it's no rules and not timed and there's just this blood and potential for injury, whether it's soft tissue injury, whether it's musculoskeletal injury, whether it's neuro head injury. And I don't think they realize that all that is being closely monitored between the referees, the physicians, the rules, the regulations, the weight classes, how we even get into the cage. Yeah. It's all so closely monitored. It's a very safe sport. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's actually a lot safer than than boxing in a lot of ways, right? I mean, less concussive injuries, less severe head injuries. There, ha um, there have been papers uh, pushed, uh, pushed out, published by the Cleveland Clinic that have done some comparisons of um, careers in boxing versus careers in mixed martial art, particularly the UFC. Mm -hmm. And uh, there has been uh, 
tremendous uh, advantage to being in this sport in the sense that it is less head injury yeah. uh, over time and less concussions. Yeah, and, and now you've been with the UFC for a long time. I have. Kind of pre-UFC almost, right? I mean, it's always been the UFC. So um, right around what time did you join? And and talk a little bit about your journey with the UFC, Dana White, you know, the Fertitta brothers, and how it matured into you being, you know, the chief medical director for, for, for the UFC. Like, what was that journey like? Because You've so, seen some stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I have. And I, it, it, you know, it, it, it doesn't seem like it's been 30 years, but it has been 30 years already. Um, you know, when I came to Las Vegas in the early 90s, uh, I was fortunate enough to get involved with the Nevada State Athletic Commission. I uh, got a tremendous experience, a great learning, uh, you know, decade uh, of, of working many boxing events. And back then we would do K1 and Muay Thai events and lots of kind of different combat sport events. And so I really, you were the state commission? I was yeah. with the Nevada State okay. Athletic Commission as one of the ringside physicians. Okay. And uh, I had great mentors that really taught me a lot and really taught me how to appreciate the athletes, how the, you know, what their dedication is and how they have really dedicated to get into the sport and to get into the actual fight and then how we take care of them. Um, and right around 2000, 2001, uh, the UFC came to Las Vegas and there was this amazing vision by Dana White and uh, Lorenzo and Frank. Fertitta. Was that about the time that they bought the That's UFC? about the okay. time that they okay. purchased the UFC brand or name, right. uh, brought it to Las Vegas. And I remember uh, their first real tasks were, let's develop weight classes. Let's develop uh, a, a competition where there's referees, yep. judging, uh, weight classes. There has to be physicians, obviously, cage side. It needs to be developed sanctioned. into sanctioned, yeah. different commissions from the states. It has to be developed into a sport so that right. we can all enjoy what we now know today. Um, and so it's really started off in an infancy as a vision, I think, yeah. from Frank and Lorenzo Fertitta and Dana White yeah. to what we all just take for granted today is a worldwide amazing sport. Yeah. Um, it's amazing that that, that growth's amazing. Those guys had the vision to take something that was such a diamond in the rough and say, we can really pull this out of the backyard in a basement and really put it on, on, on prime time. I, I read something, uh, not too long ago that it was, um, at the time, the, the fastest growing sanctioned sport in the world. Um, you know, it's just on this meteoric rise. Well, I, I remember when Mark Ratner's task was to get us sanctioned in every state. And, you know, in, it started off, we were sanctioned in Nevada. We were sanctioned in New Jersey. And slowly, we, Mark Ratner would work, and we would work ourselves across the USA until every single state wanted the UFC to come and, and participate. And then we did the same thing internationally. Mm -hmm. Mark Ratner and a group of uh, individuals from the, from the promotion got out there internationally. And, and we started off in London and we started off in Canada. And Montreal was one of our first um, international uh, fights. And uh, from those early cards, the growth now is as we know. Yeah. I mean, everywhere from Australia this weekend. Right. Abu Dhabi coming up, right. Brazil in between, yeah. and we just finished going to Shanghai, Paris. I mean, it's just, it's an international, global sport. And, and you're ringside at nearly every U.S. 
you know, fight, right? I, mean, I, uh, I have found the energy the to get to most every uh, <laughs> domestic fight. So, yes, for most all the uh, domestic fights within the USA, I'll travel and be their cage side with the commission that we're working with. Yeah. And then for many of the international events, I travel and kind of like try and spot check uh, the different areas. So I have consultants in, in all these areas. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a consultant in Asia. Okay. I have a consultant in Brazil. Uh, the consultant in Europe. Um, and I work with those consultants to kind of make sure they're following the UFC, I'll say, safety guidelines. Right. And then about every second or third international event that occurs in those areas, I will actually go, be there at cage side with them, yeah. and just kind of be there with them to kind of get some you know, reassurance and, and make sure the resources are there and that we're as safe there mm-hmm. as we are here in the Nevada. And is, is it safe to say that in 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 the states on every contender series fight and every UFC fight, that you're signing off on that fighter? Yeah, I, I mean, don't. It's, I, it's, I, it's it is very sort of safe your today. name on the bottom line, right? Yes, it's uh, you know it's interesting. Uh, people say, "What do you do every night?" And uh, uh, my wife Jeannie uh, knows I'm on the computer almost every single night. And uh, she, you know, she, she, their favorite question is how long you got? Because I'm usually up there for hours. And what I'm actually doing is going through all the imaging, the MRI, the MRAs, uh, the serology panels that are sent, the EKGs, the chest X-rays. All of that information is brought in and focused by the medical team of the UFC, mm. which is led by a great group that works with me. And it's focused into the medical charts of each individual athlete. And then I review it all. And if we find something or I find something particularly that needs addressed, whether it's an abnormality on on an image such as an MRI, whether it's an EKG abnormality that I think doesn't just fit, you know, an athletic heart, then we forward that off to a consultant to get clearance so that by the time the athletes are cleared for a fight with the UFC, we have put them through a very good medical screening for physical exam, for eye exam blood test, imaging of the brain, heart tests if needed. Yeah, you were telling me they even do like virology panels for for viral pathogens. Yeah, we all look for anything. Just making sure they're as healthy as they can possibly be, you know, to get in there and and, From a medical standpoint, we're, we're, we're absolutely doing everything. And, right. uh, you know, that's on top of I their love training. Uh, then they've got, you know, management by their coaches and their trainers and their staff. So these athletes are so fine-tuned. And the majority of times prior to stepping yeah. into the cage for the for the actual event, it, it there's a tremendous amount of oversight. And t- talk a little bit about what's going on behind the scenes um, in, in, beyond the medical screening. Like, um, you know, you go to the UFC Performance Center and there's physical therapy, there's altitude training rooms, there's trainers, there's chefs, there's DEXA scan machines that are looking at every possible level of visceral fat and water retention and 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 their body mass index and all of these things so that they're they're eating they're taking in the right number of calories they're they're, they're, they're training in a way that's not going to actually cause them injury and they're safely you know gaining and losing you know weight to make uh, weight classes so t- talk a little bit about what's going on behind the scenes um other than the medical screening to like really get these athletes ready for the ring I think you, I think you touched on so many incredible points just now, and I don't even know if the audience picked up on what you just said. Yeah, it's uh, it, listen. These athletes, you know, walk around incredibly uh, in shape all all year round. Right. But suddenly, when we're when they're you know picked up for a fight and they know they're going to make a specific weight on a specific day to fight, then that full training camp goes into full you know full speed for mm. four weeks prior. 
and strength and conditioning coaches from the Performance Institute are there to assist. Nutrition people are there to assist. Every step of the way of that four-week training so that it peaks right at the specific time to make weight and then to rehydrate, re-nourish. It's a whole cycle. It's a science. We've done it over and over and over. And as I tell people, it's not the first time. Like, it's every weekend. We, mm. we, hit these, we hit these goals with these fighters every weekend, every weight class. We're incredibly efficient. Mm. I mean, people may say, yeah, I've seen a fighter miss weight. And you're right. Nothing's, nothing's perfect. There's, right. there's times where a fighter will miss weight. But overall, the efficiency, it's in the high 90 percentile of how efficient we are with the athletes making weight, recovering from their weight, I'll say weight uh, cut for the week, yeah. and then being rehydrated, renutritioned. And stepping into the cage the next night and performing at such a level, yeah, it's, because it's amazing. You know, it's like decades ago, you used to see, um, you know, in in a lot of different kinds of professional sports. I mean, you know, guys walking into the ring that looked like they were stoned or wasted. I mean, they're just you could tell they were depleted. They hadn't rehydrated properly. They hadn't renutrified properly, and they really were not ready to be in a you know combat competitive sport. Um, so, talk a little bit about like. What is the what is a safe way to cut weight? I mean, how how much weight are these guys losing, and how much are they putting back safely, and in what kind of time frame before before? Well, without a fight? without shocking everyone around, I mean, <laughs> you know, what can a weight cut be in a week? Within yeah. a week, it can be anywhere from five pounds all the way up to maybe fifteen or twenty pounds. Wow! But again, through that kind of training, we've we, we've we've taught them, and they've learned how to slowly bring down the weight to become very lean to mm-hmm. develop the muscle, the endurance, what they're going to need for the event. In the last couple of days, there's a lot of science that's gone into how to upload with some water and then lose some water weight so that there's a specific weight class that there might be the goal or the target that we're going to get. Right. And then they can rehydrate after that. Um, but, I mean, you've been to our events, so you've seen. Yeah. After the weight, uh, after the physical exam and after we weigh them in, there's a very calculated way that we rehydrate with specific electrolyte formulas and drinks, very specific nutrition, Mm -hmm. um, the way we bring them back up from simple digestibles all the way to the protein and complex meal so that they are able to put back in the nutrition in a very safe manner Yeah. so that no one gets a GI upset or some type of illness where like they electrolyte can't imbalance or correct. Yeah. Some, correct. Uh, something severe, especially that would happen if they lost a little bit of weight during the fight, you know, or they, they get dehydrated during the fight and they can't continue. And, and every athlete, which I don't know that everyone understands every athlete, when they check in the week of the event, their weight is monitored immediately. So we know exactly what, what they weigh when they step in. So we know exactly what's going to occur that week as far as how much weight they may have to lose to make the weight. We begin to calculate how the nutrition and the rehydration process is going to be right after they make the weight Friday. I mean, this is all calculated that week. Yeah. Um, and it's all taken care of for them. I mean, a lot of people that have been to our events will see after the weigh-ins that we have a kind of a, I call it the brown bag, but the brown bag is full of wonderful <laughs> Nutrition and hydration products, and hydration, yeah. yeah, and it's it's amazing. And the athletes know how to take this all in mm-hmm. in a very slow and a purposeful process. And they're, I mean, you see them the next night, you see them on Saturdays. They're they're high level athletes performing at a hundred percent. Yeah, you know, it, it's it it really is astounding to me how much technology and science and care and detail goes into what's happening behind the scenes. You know, you, again, you go to the performance center and there's 
altitude training rooms and there's force multiplier plates in the floor and there's physical therapy and there's, uh, you know, these DEXA scans that are measuring every every facet of their, um, you know, their body composition so they know exactly their macros that they can eat and how much hydration they have. And there's cold plunges and red light therapy. I mean, essentially everything that can make a average human a superhuman. Correct. Um, everything that they need to legally recover and 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 perform, you know. Yeah, and another thing you level. just touched on was the DEXA scan. I mean, yeah. we're able to help individuals know their exact, you know, what what their body composition is. Yeah, talk about is. what a DEXA scan well, is. Well, the DEXA, not a lot of people yeah, know so what the that DEXA is. scans are great a great way for an individual to get a body composition and know what their bone density is, what their soft tissue muscle density is, what their water weight composition is, and so we can help them better understand, well, what is a realistic goal for a weight class? Mm. So that if you walk around and your walking weight is 170 or whatever it may be, is it realistic to be a fighter that can fight at the 150s or lower or higher? Because it may be dangerous to go too low. Correct, saying, because yeah. it, based on your body density, you may not be able to get to a specific weight class. It safely. may be better to stay, yeah. Right. So safely, it may be better to stay up a weight class. Mm -hmm. But these are all things that we work with them and in the training and in the, you know, the endurance part of that four weeks, they'll start to understand what they can get their body safely to. They also understand that when they get into this cage the next night or the next day, it's, you know, three rounds or five rounds. And it's a high endurance, a high active sport. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you've all watched it. And yeah. uh, so it takes an immense amount of endurance and, and reserve to get through that. And yeah. that's not something you can do if the week before was a, a, a bad weight cut or a difficult time getting to a specific weight class. Right, right. That's so. going to obviously compromise performance. Hey, guys, I think the most important website you may ever go to is theultimatehuman.com. That's theultimatehuman.com because on this website, we can directly interact with one another. You can give me suggestions for podcast guests and topics that you'd like to see me cover. You can ask me any question that you'd like. More importantly, you can sign up for my entirely free newsletter. It comes out every single week. I write this so I can get the information to the masses on how to live a healthier, happier, longer, chemical-free life. You can also sign up for a pre-order of my book. And if you'd like to take the genetic test that I talk about all the time, it's available there too. And lastly, you can even see all of the products that I use in my daily life for a chemical-free, healthy living style. A lot of people ask me, you know, what do you use in your daily life, Gary? What do you brush your teeth with and clean your countertops with? Well, it's all there if you'd like to see it. And you can, again, ask me any question that you'd like and get my free newsletter theultimatehuman.com. I promise you that information will help change the trajectory of your life. And now back to the Ultimate Human Podcast. So, you know, in, in, in the performance center, there's so many different modalities in there. One of the things that, that was fascinating to me that kind of struck me was this altitude training room. Yes. Right? I've never seen anything like this. I mean, yes. I've heard about hypoxic training and altitude training. I, I have a cabin at 10,500 feet, but I've never seen a room that you can go in and shut the door and dial the altitude. Correct. Right. Correct. So what's what's the theory behind high altitude training, especially for these kind of athletes? So, I mean, I think everyone's um, answer to that is this. If, if you train at high altitude, it can, after time, it takes four to six weeks to acclimate. But the body begins, we think, to develop like a healthier hemoglobin, hemoglobin concentration. Right. So you, you, you get this higher oxygen carrying capacity, which then may translate into 
greater endurance, greater energy. Mm -hmm. And there has been a lot of studies that people that live at high altitudes, and some of them have these longer, healthier lives and or have a heavier endurance capability. And so especially I, if they come down to. Especially if they come back down to sea level, which yeah. most of our fights are. Yeah. And I'll tell you the opposite that we've learned. Watch some of our fights when we take these athletes to a high altitude and they haven't trained at I a high saw altitude. That. Where, where was the one Mexico at 7,500 feet? Mexico City. Mexico City. Denver. We've take we you know we've had fights in these higher altitude cities and it wipes the athletes out. Mm. Now the athletes that get in before four to six weeks because it takes about four weeks to acclimate. Mm. They're much more ready for that altitude and they do better in that fight. Mm. So there is a theory that if you train at that higher altitude, you can produce this deeper concentration of hemoglobin, that's your blood cells, mm -hmm. that produces or translates into a higher concentration of oxygen carrying capacity, which means maybe a higher endurance, which gives you that edge in that fight. Right, especially so if you're so idea. evenly matched. So if we can measure all that and reproduce some of that and give you that advantage where you can kind of just build even little, that little edge, right? which every athlete's looking for, right? Every high-performance athlete is looking at just how do I get that little bit of an edge? Right. That's one way. Okay. That makes sense. And then the other modality I wanted to touch on quickly was the hyperbaric chamber. Um, and, you know, because one is taking you up higher, reducing pressure, and the other was taking diving you, you down. Yeah, diving you down below sea level. And so what? what's the theory behind increasing pressure, especially after something like a CTE or, you know, traumatic brain injury or a concussion or even just to recover after a you know difficult fight or workout. So, so there's a lot of athletes uh, across all sports, all professional sports, uh, and the literature's mixed. I mean, the science isn't perfect; it's 50-50. But the athletes and the and the the people that believe in the hyperbaric believe this: that when you get into a chamber mm -hmm. that can take you down to one or 1.5 atmosphere of pressure, mm -hmm. and you can force that oxygen deeper into the circulation, mm -hmm. the microcirculation that you get a better recovery because all the cells are starving for oxygen that are inflamed for the recovery process, post-fight, post-combat sport, post-contact sport, whatever it may be. So a hyperbaric dive one hour a day, five, six days a week for a couple of weeks post an event like a, a UFC fight or a, another professional sport, mm -hmm. that's, that's the theory behind that. Okay. That you can drive that oxygen deeper into the capillaries help force that good nutrition, good oxygen nutrition, deep into the systems of the body where maybe it can't be reached at atmospheric pressure. So when would be the best time to use it? Immediately after either a fight or a really intense training session or a fight where you've actually taken some battering and you might have a little bit of a concussion, that's the time to use it and sort of immediately thereafter to help those tissues repair before further 100%. damage sets in. That's, you, you, you're right on, you're spot on. And a lot of people use it for maintenance. Mm -hmm. They just use it for maintenance daily throughout the, the week, a couple times a week. But right after those tough events, right after those, like you said, a tough fight or a tough event or a tough training session, that's the time to get into a 1 to 1.5 atmospheric dive, as we say, for an hour. Yep. And really drive that oxygen into the deep circulation. So... You know, in your in, in in the years that you've been, you know, associated with the UFC, what what is a what are some of the typical things that you see on a regular basis? You're emergency trained, so nothing's going to surprise you. Um, 
Nothing's going to, you know, freak you out. Nothing, yeah, um, not too much. Well, what are some of the things that you've put back on, put back together, you know, mended, repaired, <laughs> realigned? You know, I, I, it's, it's, you know, everyone has uh, some moments uh, over the years. Show me some years pictures of some years falling off. And <laughs> yes, we, we, we did. We had, we had, we had, the, we had uh, some earlier time uh, when we were working out and we were looking through my phone of some pictures. Yeah. And uh, I remember the first couple we'll of times. we'll throw some of these up. We'll throw some up. Yeah. But uh, there's been several times where, you know, as, as the fighters develop these kind of cauliflower ears, as they call them, which is, you know, kind of that years and years of being hit in the ear and that soft tissue turns into that hard tissue and it's called cauliflower. And um, that tissue is very fibrous and it's not real flexible. Mm. And, you know, with the right punch, the right kick or the right force, that whole tissue can, can avulse or tear off. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the first time I ever saw an ear, uh, kind of nearly avulsed or torn off. Meaning just dangling. Yeah. Kind of hanging off. It, it did catch my attention. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now that I've seen it multiple times, I understand, okay, we can, we can suture that back on. So, yeah. uh, that, that has happened. And do you do it on site? Somet- I mean, sometimes we'll do it on site. Uh, sometimes we will send it off to the, the emergency department right. where we're working with and whatever commission, uh, and we'll get it done there. Right. Um, just because it's a little bit cleaner quieter environment. Uh, But, you know, you bring up a great point. Most of the suturing at all our events is done on site. So wherever we travel, um, in addition to the physicians at cage side, the the, the commission physicians or the physicians wherever, whatever country we're in, uh, there's usually a dedicated suture physician. Hmm. A lot of times this is a plastic surgeon, general surgeon, emergency medicine physician, and their, their challenge for the night is suturing. Yeah. Um, and we've had some excellent people throughout the world, throughout this country, throughout just in this state uh, that just are, you know, they're here and they're suturing. And, uh, you know, there's, you know, if you go back 15, 20 years, we didn't have that. When, when the individuals or when the athletes were injured and there was a laceration, we had to send them off to the emergency department. They just went by themselves. They yeah, went, they, we, well, we sent them to an emergency department. But, you know, you could sit in an emergency department for a prolonged time and yeah. you might have got an intern or maybe a medical student would assist. And then we realized, look, we can do better than that. And so now it's been a long time, but we have hired uh, you know, physicians that specifically suture at every event for us now. So just another level of incredible care that we provide right there yeah. at, at these events. What would you consider to be um, some of the most difficult cases that you've faced? Well, the difficult case. What's cases, a really difficult case? Yeah, the, the, the tough case, there's a couple things that come to mind. So, you know, no one wants to see an athlete that spends so much time getting prepared for an event have a sudden uh, injury that just automatically we all know is going to shut down the fight. Mm-hmm. So everyone can think of there has been a couple of times where there's been, for example, like an ankle fracture dislocation. Mm-hmm. And the ones that come to most people's minds are the Conor McGregor or the Chris Weidman. Anderson Silva. Anderson Silva was the first one yeah. that, that, that we all had in Las Vegas years and years ago. But that type of traumatic injury, which doesn't represent really what happens in this sport often right. at all. It gets all the press and the publicity because it, it grabs eyeballs. It does get all the publicity. But- and, uh, but you know, you hate to see that. And, and, you know, when I think of the thousands and thousands of rounds that yeah. we've done and that I've watched and that that's only happened three or four times, right. it really puts it in perspective that yeah. that's not the type of injury we see. And, and the other athlete doesn't like to see that either. Correct. You know, the, the level of respect in the sport, you know, they, they actually don't like to see them not able to continue because, you know, something Listen, like that. Listen, these athletes want to win by a decision, by a knockout, by a TKO. Right. They, they've all trained for that type of ending. They don't want to see it end because of a medical stoppage. So, right. 
Um, you know, those type of injuries, as infrequent as they are, they're hard to watch. Um, you know, and we've had some other injuries, and, and we've all seen them where an eye injury specifically will have to stop a fight because medically it's unsafe to let that fight continue. And to the average viewer, it doesn't look like maybe potentially a dangerous, but, you know, when you're talking about someone's vision and, and eye injuries, yeah. we're extremely careful. Um, so, you know, you're working in the emergency department, you're working as, you know, the, the medical director for the UFC, you know, you're ringside at all of these fights. Like, what do you, what do you do outside of the ring? Like, what do you do to like blow off steam? What are you like some hobbies, some interests that you have, you know, aside I, I don't, I don't, from broken I don't, I don't, bodies? Yeah, I don't know? want to sound boring, but I know you, we both love the cold plunge. Yes, like, we talked about say, that today. We I don't want to sound boring, room. but uh, you know what I do. I mean, I, I love to work out. I work yeah. out every day. Um, the people that know me, uh, the people here at the UFC, yeah. they can count on Dr. Davidson walking through it about four. I, I see you every time every I'm here. I, I saw you today. We worked out today, and I, I think I got the cold plunge in the steam room, and you didn't. I did the red light. Oh, you did the I red was light. Red light today. I did the oxygen. I, did I saw the you with the oxygen mask on. I did the oxygen and the red light. So yeah. I try and always do uh, as many times of the week uh, as I can the mm -hmm. red light and the oxygen. Yeah. I, I like you. Love the cold plunge. Listen. Yeah. I think we've both both agreed. The best drug out there is the steam room and the cold plunge. <laughs> I think we've said that several times. Yeah, so, it's so true. We call it our we we both call it our drug of choice. Absolutely. Um, and so you know, hey guys, if you've been watching the Ultimate Human podcast for any length of time, you know that one thing I do not do is push products. I do not just let any advertiser into this space because I believe that the products that appear on the Ultimate Human podcast should be things that I use every day in my life to improve my own physiology. One of them is something called the Echo Go Plus. The Echo Go Plus is a hydrogen water generator that you can take on the go. You essentially take the top off of this bottle, you pour bottled water in this, and repeatedly it will make high part per million hydrogen water. You press this little button, you'll see these bubbles going up in the water. That's hydrogen being created in the water. There are all kinds of peer-reviewed published clinical studies on the benefits of hydrogen water, including reduced inflammation, better absorption of your supplements, better absorption of your foods, better balance of the stomach acid, and it feeds an entire class of bacteria in your gut. Hydrogen water, in my opinion, is the most beneficial water that you can drink, and now you can take it wherever you go. You can go to echo, E-C-H-O, H-2-O.com. That's echo, E-C-H-O, H-2-O.com. Enter the code ultimate10 for a discount, echo H-2-O, entered the code ultimate 10 for a discount. And now back to the ultimate human podcast, you know, making a little bit of a transition here. Um, you know, you and I have, uh, you, you know, shared some, uh, clients in common. I can't call them patients. I'm not licensed to practice medicine. You are. Um, but we've, we've shared some clients in common and, you know, we've actually learned a lot from each other. Absolutely. And I have a deep level of respect for your surgical experience and just your clinical experience, your emergency experience. Um, but you know, you're very much from the allopathic medical side, Correct. And, and I would consider myself more from the human biology and, uh, you know, functional medicine, uh, even though, again, I'm not licensed to practice medicine. Um, what do you see as uh, some of the differences between modern medicine, allopathic medicine, and, and, and this functional medical approach? Um, and what interests you about it? Well, I'll tell you, I mean, Getting to know you mm -hmm. really opened up my eyes and really opened up my my world as to how all these all these treatments can come together. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, patients always ask me in the emergency department, 
does a specific type of physician help them? And they'll mention a chiropractor or a mm -hmm. physical therapist or whatever specific kind of clinician they're, they're asking about. And I'm like, you know, whatever works to make you a better functional person, healthier, feel better, you know, live better every day, that's what's good for you. Yeah. But I think getting to know you, especially over these last years, has really opened my eyes to how you really can optimize uh, the body. Yeah. And again, so I practice medicine. A lot of times, though, and we've talked about this, yeah. you know, in the emergency department, I practice medicine when there's already end organ damage, when there's already kind of pathology that's taken process and taken form. And, you know, at that point, we're there to either help, slow, or maybe, you know, we can intervene. We yeah. hope to intervene. You're trying to preserve life at that point. And I think, correct. But I think, you know, really what I've learned from you is there's a whole there's a whole arena of prevention out there. there. There's a whole arena of, you know, whatever you think is healthy, you can get healthier. Yeah. And that's what I think we've le learned and, and started to work yeah, on and together. I, I've been very, you know, um, you, you know, I, I, it's, it's very humbling to me to just see how, you know, the level at which you've embraced it. I mean, you've been very humble about the limitations on your expertise and the areas where your core competencies lie. And and I think we've worked, you know, really, really well together. I'm excited. Listen, you know, I, about I, our joint I have future. seen you. <laughs> do great things with, uh, you know, traditional allopathic medicine treating blood pressure. Mm -hmm. And then because the individual takes on a healthier lifestyle, which has pretty much been guided and outlined by you, mm -hmm. the blood pressure just comes down. Yeah. No longer need to be on specific medications. So listen, I'm not saying everyone is, is going to have such great success to such levels. True. But I truly think if you live the lifestyle that you and I both promote, yeah. you know, get the proper amount of rest, the proper amount of nutrition, get the proper amount of exercise, be optimistic. Be positive. I, I do think that settles all yeah, these pathologies. Yeah, you know, I, I, I always talk about just getting back to the basics. You know, Absolutely. whole foods, exercise, and then the and then the little you know adjuncts. You know, sunlight, breath work, cold showers, cold plunges, saunas, steam rooms. All those things that just elevate your mood. They elevate your emotional state. They actually they raise you know your your level of bio optimization. Right. They actually make you a healthier individual, and then you. You don't end up in your department. <laughs> and listen, I, I listen. We both know yeah. everyone's going to get sick. Everyone's going to get a sore throat or a uh, you know a, a chest congestion, upper respiratory infection, something. Right. And so that's what that's what medicine is good for, right? There are right. specific treatments out there for some of these pathologies that that uh, we want to treat. Yeah. Because um, then we can prevent more serious illness. But there's a whole pathway to stay healthy to prevent and offset a lot of that. Um, so I want I want to get back to your career a little bit, and thank you for what you said. But um, you know, in 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 your career, like, has there ever been a time where you've been shocked so much, either by an injury or by a um, a patient's pathology, you like really felt like, and I don't exactly know what to do here. There, uh, you know, listen, I hate to say it, but in emergency medicine. Um, it's really the practice, medicine, practice of medicine. Yeah. And uh, like I said, I've been doing it nearly 30 years. And, so not uh, a lot shocking you now. I, I, I can honestly say when I'm, when I'm working with the medical students now, I, I, I think I've seen the majority of, of cases. Right. But there are definitely times when people come in and just the human body. Things yeah. don't present like they're supposed to. Not everyone read the book. And so they don't present like the book tells right, me they're right, supposed to present. Right. Um, but, you know, I've seen very young people with very advanced disease, which typically 
bothers me and shocks me. And Same. it does to most of us, right? Yeah. I mean, it's hard to see someone young with an advanced process. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's just as hard to see someone that you think is older but in great shape mm-hmm. and then have something suddenly happen. Right. Um, you know, in the emergency department, unfortunately, you got to be prepared for anything that comes in. And you think and your, are. your emergency department experience obviously trickles over into your ringside experience so that, I mean, you're pretty much prepared to handle anything that comes out of that. Yeah. Out of the I mean, I, listen, I think, you know, some of the best physicians for this sport and for other uh, kind of combat or you know, sports of that nature, um, emergency physicians are very well adapted. I mean, we have a very good sense of what type of musculoskeletal injury could be, soft mm-hmm. tissue injury could be, eye injury, ocular injury, uh, obviously close head injury or TBI, traumatic mm-hmm. brain injury or concussion injury, as mm-hmm. we all refer to it. So all those pieces of, uh, of pathology or injury potential that, that could occur in these, these contact sports we see in the emergency department every day. Yeah. So, so it's almost the like you're, you, you're, you're getting a lot more practice there. So when it happens ringside, you're like, this is a walk in the park. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we, I mean, we, we, listen, I tell people when they, when they enter into a, a contact sport, it's, it's a tough sport. Yeah. You don't, you, you know, you don't expect to step into the cage and potentially not have an injury. Yeah. I mean, we all hope for no injuries, but you know, when we see a soft tissue injury, a laceration, when we see uh, a bad knockout, when we see uh, potential, you know, musculoskeletal injury of the knee or the elbow or the right. hand. We know it's potentially something that could happen in a, in this type of sport. Can happen in many sports, right. you know, whether it's rugby, hockey, football. All those sports are very heavy contact sports. You know, it's interesting. We had a, a conversation the other night, and and we were talking about the, some of the advances in orthopedics and medicine, um, biologics like platelet-rich plasma, yeah. um, using a patient's own platelets from their own bloodstream, concentrating them, and 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 putting them into the site of injury. So kind of taking all the healing power of the human body and focusing it at one area, I mean, knee, hip, shoulder, rotator cuff, to kind of accelerate healing. Um, do you find that... You know that's that's become an increasingly um, larger part of your practice is using some of these things like platelet-rich plasma to help accelerate the time frame for healing. Because we talked about how there were injuries even 15 years ago that would have been career-ending that now are just season-ending. Correct. So Correct. Um, you know we've got we've made so many strides in like ACLs and MCLs and, and surgical repair. So what, what are some of those injuries today that 15 years ago would have been career ending, but are now are just season ending? I mean, it's, it's, first of all, the technology and the, the surgeons have advanced so much in the last 20 years, the orthopedic world, um, the shoulder injuries and the knee injuries in particular that we used to see 25 years ago, 30 years ago, particularly um, the interventions were so much larger, the surgery was so much larger, whether it was just the operation itself, the site of the incision. I mean, just going in to do the repair it's was just doing a lot of damage. It's just a more invasive type of procedure. And so now with arthroscopic and minimally invasive procedures on the knee and on the shoulder, which are some of the big joints that we typically see in this sport, mm-hmm. the actual intervention to repair is so minimally invasive and so well done by this group of orthopedic surgeons that I work with throughout this country and throughout the international uh, areas, um, that that's just the first starting point that just already begins to advance how quickly, then how aggressive we are with physical therapy and rehab so quickly. Early mobilization. Early mobilization, quickly building up the strength, uh, compensation of the other muscles, 
flexibility, things like that. And then like you mentioned already, like for example, the PRP or the platelet-rich plasma. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of the systems out there that are able to so purely concentrate the platelets, which we know have wonderful growth yeah, know, mediators. Yeah, it's not the platelets themselves. It's what's in the platelet, right? The it's platelets the growth release all their growth factors, and you've got all these wonderful other cells in there, the monocytes, the neutrophils, the cytokines, and these all are highly concentrated. So then they're kind of injected into the area of the, the joint or that space. It just provides that wonderful, rich environment of healing. So we're able to generate such a faster recovery yeah. But you're right. These shoulder and knee injuries, for example, that sometimes would have been career ending or possibly a year or two out, some of these players, some of these athletes are back in six, seven, eight months. That's incredible. It's, it's amazing. Have a it's full amazing. ACL tear and be back on the field in six, seven, eight months. I mean, I think sometimes for UFC fans, you know, they see severe injuries and, you know, um, breaks and things like that. And then the next year, the fighter's back back in the ring. They don't realize you know, it. I mean, I think they feel like, oh, A lot's going on behind the scenes. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> a lot of work, but it, it's it's amazing. And, and and the athletes know because yeah. they know when specific injuries occur. And I kind of review it with them. and like, you know, this is going to take us six to nine months to get you back out there. But we'll get you back out there. Right. And so for them, it's a true six to nine months. The rest of us don't see it because mm. we kind of like lose track of that fighter for a few months. But the next thing they know, the athletes been put back into an event, and here they are again. Yeah, back at 100%. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Hey, guys, as you know, I do not push products on my podcast or my social media unless I use them in my everyday life. This is one of those products. Most of us have a very difficult time meeting our protein needs, and certain protein sources like whey protein and others can be as little as 20% absorbable. This is 99% absorbable, and it has all of the essential amino acids that the body needs to build lean muscle, to recover, to improve our exercise performance, and most importantly, to repair after we have intense exercise. So this is called Perfect Amino by Body Health. It's, like I said, 99% absorbable. It only has two calories. Eventually, the caloric intake has virtually no caloric intake. It will not break a fast. It tastes amazing. You mix it in water. I take this literally every single morning. If you're working out in a fasted state, you have to take a full-spectrum amino acid prior to your workout to preserve your lean muscle and make sure that you're recovering properly. And again, it will not break your fast. So the caloric impact is virtually zero. You get all of the full spectrum amino acids. It tastes wonderful. I use it every single day. You can go to bodyhealth.com forward slash ultimate. That's bodyhealth.com forward slash ultimate and look for the perfect aminos. They actually come in capsules if you're on the go or it becomes in several flavors that they make in a powder, which I love. It's flavored with natural um, uh, means of flavoring. So there's no artificial sweeteners in here. So this is one of my absolute favorite products. Give it a try. If you're working out at all, you need a full spectrum amino acid. Go to bodyhealth.com forward slash ultimate. That's bodyhealth.com forward slash ultimate. I love their lab tested products. You can actually see the absorption rate for all of their products. They've got great electrolyte protein combinations. My favorite is the perfect aminos. Bodyhealth.com forward slash ultimate. And now back to the ultimate human podcast. So, um, you're a young physician, you're, you're watching this podcast, you know, you're obviously inspired by the kind of career that you, you have because, you know, there's the lights and the glamour and the stage. And it's, it's actually really cool to be able to be a part of something like the UFC. I mean, um, no, no doubt about that. Um, so what advice would you give to a young physician that wants to go on a 
sports medicine career path? Like what what mistakes did you make? What decisions did you make that were that were good decisions? Like you know, the, 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 how would you? you listen to the because I get asked everywhere we go, right? Yeah. How did you become the UFC physician? Yeah, and I said, you know, listen. The, the main thing I can tell everyone is you just have to be willing to dedicate and put in the time. Mm -hmm. That's just the main thing. I mean, most physicians have already shown that they have a, a dedication to going to medical school, going to a residency, doing a training or a fellowship. So they get to an area where they want to be. So if you get into the sports world, you have to be willing to understand that it, it could be time. And, you know, I think everyone thinks, well, you're, you're so lucky. You work with the UFC and you work with other, these, these other professional sports. But I didn't always work with the, the high-level professional sports. I mean, right. I started off with amateur and Golden Glove boxing and USA boxing. And, I, you know, I developed— Well, you joined at UFC like 33, right? Yeah, <laughs> and, I, and I did come into UFC very early. But, uh, you know, and I think we're, we're at 293 coming up. It's 293 like coming yeah, up this weekend. Yeah, out of science um, tomorrow. And, but, uh, but I think you have to be willing to put in the time and the work like anything yeah. else. Like, how did you get good? It's years of experience. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's that recognition. I've seen many, I've just seen so many rounds. I think I've probably worked. I think I calculated with someone one time. I'm well over 32,000 rounds. Wow. So, I mean, when you, when you think about how many rounds of fighting I've, I've just watched, right. um, there's just not a lot of people that have watched that many rounds. Yeah, yeah, not not your most ardent UFC fan can probably say they've it's watched a lot 30, of rounds, thirty two thousand rounds. So I so I tell the you know the, the, all the sports <laughs> individuals, there's so many ways to get involved at the high school level, the college level, the amateur level, the club level. Mm -hmm. Get involved, start working, start building your experience, so that when you get an opportunity to work in a high level, let's say a professional level. You've got a confidence because you've been doing it for years. Yeah. Any any big mentors come to mind for you, like kind of along your career path? Oh, I've I've had a lot of yeah. great mentors. I mean, um, you know, within within this world alone, Mark Ratner has been a tremendous mentor. He has yeah. uh, really taught me how to see the whole sport, the whole athlete, uh, to step back and take that ten thousand foot view. Mm. Um, so he's been wonderful. Um, not to sound too, you know, at home, but. Dana, Dana's had a great influence on me. Dana White has also taught me a lot. Hunter Campbell has taught me a lot. Um, there has been physicians uh, that I've worked with throughout the country that have looked at uh, the sport from a different set of eyes because maybe they're a different specialty. They're an orthopedic surgeon or they're a neurologist or mm -hmm. they're a PM&R physician. And so all those experiences have built like my understanding of how the sport uh, can be managed and, and how we can make it even safer than it is and continue yeah. that safety record. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, you know, I've had a lot of mentors along my, my path too. And, um, I think it's also important to kind of highlight how, how do you maintain your own state of optimal health? I mean, with all that you have going on, emergency room has got to be very draining emotionally and physically. I mean, just, the, just the hours and the demand, but the, the, the emotion of having people in their, you know, some of their worst moments, um, some of their most traumatic experiences. So what, what are some of the things that you do outside of the cage, so to speak, to keep yourself in shape and keep your, 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 you know, mental condition? So I think it's important to be, um, somewhat regimen. And and the people that you know are me like best. a precision guided missile man. You'd <laughs> so, be the easiest guy to put a hit out on because yeah. you're in the same places at the yeah, same time. You know, exactly. <laughs> most most uh, either you're in my personal life and in and 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 you know my wife and kids know, or you're working with me in the ER. My nurses know, or the the individuals all around the UFC know me. But I'm very very 
precision and probably too predictable. But I yeah. think it's important that you have a habit of living healthy. I mean, you need to get up, you need to eat. Most people know me. I eat a very uh, basic diet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very narrow on what I uh, ingest and mm-hmm. what I like. Um, I have a very strong sleep pattern. It's it's very set from you know time going to bed to time getting up, and I don't that oversleep. That is huge. Yeah, that I, is I huge. think that's huge. And I, I, I I've listened to you a lot about that. Yeah, but I'm very set on you've got to have this very set pattern of sleep, mm-hmm. and it can't be uh, that you skip it too much. Now there are times because of the travel. And just the the work in itself, that right. your sleep patterns are disrupted. Right. Um, and then again, and I know you and I emphasize it, but you've got to have an exercise pattern. Mm-hmm. And it's got to be religious. It's got to be seven days a week. It's got to be every day. And it has to be something you enjoy. Yeah. I mean, you have to look forward to going to that exercise. Particularly, I like the gym. Yeah. And, you know, we know. I always start off with cardio. Yeah. Uh, I usually go you from- like 35. 35 minutes today. I 30 I saw to you 40 there. minutes. Yeah. I love the elliptical and yeah. I like to get my heart rate about 140. Uh, I love core right after that. I do a core and then I kind of move into whatever set uh, muscle group we're working out that day. And, yeah. you know, and then you and I enjoy the, you know, the recovery part of it's just as important. Yeah. After you break down the tissue, you got to recover. Yeah. Amen. And it's just, it's just so nice to see somebody in the allopathic world you know, with emergency experience and surgical experience, that's actually really understands the benefit of maintaining themselves. It's okay to be selfish and put yourself first or else you really can't help. Can't help everyone you know, else. You can't help everyone yeah, else. You're you not know, sharp. I want my physician when he's doing surgery on me, I want that guy to be in the best shape of his life. I hope he did 40 minutes on the elliptical like you, took a freaking cold bath and ate clean that day, right? <laughs> I think that's the perfect day. Yeah, and, then, yeah. and then if you get to go home and watch a UFC fight or some other contact sport, Perfect night. Perfect, perfect evening. Um, you know, I think th- this has given people a, a, a lot of perspective. Um, I'm really excited about our mutual, um, you know, ventures that we've got underway un- underway together. I've As am I. Tremendous, tremendous respect for you and what you've done and the impact you've had on the sport and just the fact that you've been involved for so many decades and, and watched it grow from such a sort of backyard brawl to the one of the greatest sanctioned sports in the world. Um, you know, I always you know, end these interviews this, this, the same way, these, these podcasts the same way. And I say, what does it mean to you to be an ultimate human? Oh. No right or wrong answer, but just what is, what does it mean to be an ultimate human? You know, to me, it might come a little bit easier. To me, an ultimate human is every day you get up, mm-hmm. you're excited for that day. You're going to do your best. You're going to work your hardest and you're going to put out the best energy you can. And to me, if you accomplish that, you rest so peacefully that night. Mm. It's a wonderful day. Yeah. And I think every day it needs to be that. You need to get up motivated and excited to do whatever you do. Yeah. That, that to me, and I do. I get up every day. Oh, you definitely do. People say, how do you go You're back? You're bouncing off the walls. How, how do you go back into the ER? How are you still practicing? I'm like, I love it. I mean, I get up. What am I going to do today? I don't want to sit at home. I want to get up and do something. I want to I produce. I want to be out there. I want to be in the emergency department and do a shift and then come over here and work out and then go take care of the athletes and then you know, come speak with you. I mean, yeah. that's that's the ultimate human, to yeah. enjoy what you do every day and to feel productive every day. You'll yeah. get a great night's sleep that night. That's awesome. Well, the ultimate human, Dr. Jeffrey Davidson, um, thank you guys for tuning in. And as always, that's just science.